This morning's reading is Acts 22, verses 1 through 22. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in Aramaic, they became even quieter. He continued, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strictness of our ancestral law. I was zealous for God, just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. After I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to arrest those who were there and bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was traveling and approaching Damascus, about noon an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. I said, What should I do, Lord? The Lord told me, Get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything that you have been assigned to do. Since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and went into Damascus. Someone named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, who had a good reputation with all the Jews living there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour, I looked up and saw him. And he said, The Lord of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the words from his mouth, since you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. After I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him telling me, Hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. But I said, Lord, they know that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. He said to me, Go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. They listened to him up to this point. Then they raised their voices, shouting, Wipe this man off the face of the earth. He should not be allowed to live. Yes, amen. You may be seated this morning. The most important thing that you do this morning is right now is pray. Because you're here at church, and right now is your opportunity for God to speak to your heart. And that all is contingent on how receptive you are. So right now, let's just take a moment and pray. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll open our spiritual eyes and ears. So right now, are you praying? Just remove the distractions from my heart, Holy Spirit, and my mind. And help me to hear and see what you want me to hear and see this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's a lots of words in Christianity that we use that have very different meanings. Like love is one of them. So like we may, someone may say, I love sunny days. But that's very different from saying, I love Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Very different, right? 
And I'll say that faith also, we use faith in, in a lot of different ways, a lot of different meanings. You know, we may say, you know, I have faith that they're going to lower the gas prices. That's very different from saying, I have faith that in the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ for my sins. That is two total different things. So this morning, we're talking about transformational faith. Now, just say a dictionary. Just go look. What does a dictionary say about faith? And it says, strong belief in God or in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than... Now, you want to see the, the biblical definition for faith? It's very different, as a matter of fact. Look at this. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Very different than what we read in the dictionary, isn't it? Matter of fact, I would, I would argue that is the opposite from what we read in the dictionary. The proof of what is not seen. Now, look at this. It goes on. It says, for by this our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. So the Bible makes this very interesting point that what you're experiencing right here in the physical realm, that's not even real compared to what is happening in the spiritual realm. In the spiritual realm, that's where the reality is. That you, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors going on right here in the physical realm that you're experiencing right here and right now. And so to say that faith is something, believing in something that's not true or that you can't prove, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says very differently that we're believing in something that, that is unseen but something that is proven to be true this morning. What about transformation? I'm talking about definitions. Look at this. A thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. So here's what i got to ask myself. Has my faith, has it brought life transformation into my life? Is it changing me at the very core of my being? Is it changing the way I think, the way I believe? And is it changing the way that I behave? See, that's transformational faith. And that, that's, you know, you just... The story we just, that Ali just read this morning about the Apostle Paul when he was Saul and he was going and he was persecuting Christians, having them put to death, and then he becomes like the number one main Christian of all time. Like you could argue that. That's life transformation. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah. So I got to ask myself, how much transformation has taken place in my life and how much transformation is taking place in my life right now? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. There is a death that has happened. And see, here's what, look, look at this morning. Look at this, church. Look at this. Over and over again, you're going to see this word see. You're going to see this word look. And what happens with the apostle Paul when he's Saul and he's going into Damascus? What does God do? And see, oh, there's a whole new life, a whole new, everything has changed. John chapter, we'll get to our verses in just a moment. Look at this. So I got, we got to lay some groundwork here about faith this morning. While he was in Jerusalem, speaking of Jesus, during the Passover festival, many believed in his name. That sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds good. They're believing in his name. I look at that and I say, hey, that sounds like people are getting saved. When they saw the signs, John always uses signs instead of miracles because it's pointing to something else. 
the signs that he was doing. So they were loving the miracles that Jesus was performing. It says they're believing in his name. Now look at what he says. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them. Since he knew them all, he does know everybody. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So the argument right here the theologians are making in this is they say that what Jesus' problem was that these people were believing, but it wasn't transformational faith. They were believing in miracles. They liked the miracles. Matter of fact, you can read John chapter 6. And the people are elated because he feeds the 5,000. They chase him down around the lake, and they chase him down and try to make him their king. And he says, hey, listen, the reason you want me to be your king is because you ate the loaves and the fish, but you are not being transformed. You don't really have the work of God in your heart happening. So right here, what he's saying is, is that, yeah, you know, what does our world say? Our world says, seeing is <laughs> but the Bible saying something very different. Matter of fact, these people, they were seeing the signs, and they were saying they were believing in his name, but Jesus is saying, mm, no, you're not really. You don't really have that real transformational faith taking place in your heart and in your life. So that's why I'm going to say, i got to ask myself this morning, what is my faith doing? What's the faith that God has placed in my heart? What kind of an effect is it having on my life? There was a man from the Pharisees. Now, see, when we read that, we think bad. The, the, the music turns to that minor, brrr, you know, goes down into the bad, like ominous music, because we think of Pharisees as the bad guys. But you have to understand something. These were the good guys, okay? These were the guys that you would look out. That if the guy said he was a Pharisee, he had ultimate respect in the community. That meant that this was a man of faith. They looked up to the Pharisees. So when it says that a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, all good things to the first century reader. Now this man came to him at night and he said, Rabbi, we, who's, he, who's we? He's got a mouse in his pocket. What does he mean by that? When he says we, he's talking about the other Pharisees, the other religious rulers and leaders. We, we know that your teacher has come from God. For no one could perform these signs unless, let's say, you do, unless God were with him. What they're saying is they're saying, hey, we believe God is with you, but we're not going to do what you say. And Jesus said at one point, I said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? So they're saying right there, that hey, we, we acknowledge this is some pretty cool stuff you're doing, but we're not going to do what you say because we don't think you have any authority over us because we are the religious leaders. Man, I mean, in our eyes, we are it, and everybody else, they think we're it too, but you're not it. Jesus replied, Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, there's that transformational faith, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we said, Nicodemus, listen, here's your problem right here, man. God's not working in your heart. You're not allowing God to do the work in your heart. So let's go to our text now. You ready to get into the sermon? Ready. All right. Brothers and fathers, now who is talking right here? The Apostle Paul, he's up here, he's, he's, in, he's on the mount here in Jerusalem. He's speaking to the Jewish people. I mean, they just tried to kill him. They, a mob grabbed him, they tried to kill him, and, and, and the, the Greeks saved him, and he's turned around the Greeks. He said, let me turn around and preach a sermon to them. So he's preaching to the Jewish people. He's going to reason with them. He's going to give them some facts. He's going to try to evangelize them. Okay? 
So here he is, up in front of these Jewish people that are hating him and that are angry, and he's going to preach a sermon to them. He says, brothers and fathers, he's going to try to get the relating. We're all on the same team here. Listen now to my defense. Greek word right here, it's a compound word. Apo means to give. Logia, right here came the, the, the case word for that is logos, to give truth. Apologia. So whenever you see people, oh, well, they're, 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 somebody, you might say, they're a, they're a Christian apologetic. They're not apologizing for being a Christian. They're giving a defense for the faith. That's what apologetics is. It's not apologizing for being a Christian. It's giving proof of Christianity because our faith is based on proof. See, I think, that, I think that some of us aren't getting that this morning. We think that faith is believing in a fairy tale, unicorns and stuff like that. And according to the Bible, our faith is based on proof, okay? So right here, he says, I'm gonna give my apology, I'm gonna give you my defense, this, this of what it is, the truth of what happened to me. When they heard that he was addressing them in, and literally what it says right here is Hebraeus dialectos, the Hebrew dialect, Aramaic. They became even quieter because now they see this guy up here. They, they hear him speaking to them in their own language, saying, brothers and sisters, so listen, we all listen. I am on your side. That's what he's trying to get them to understand. So they heard him speak in the Hebrew dialect. They're like, oh, wait a second. Let's listen to what he's got. It'll be like, you better not say it, Okay. He continued, I am a Jew. See, he's saying, I'm just like you, born in Tarsus of Cilicia. This is a, this is a well-known town, highly educated. Alexandria is the most educated town. Tarsus would be number two of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. So like when he got to be a teenager, probably about the time of his bar mitzvah, he was taken to Jerusalem, and he went to what we would consider to be boarding school, okay? So he went, he said, I came here to be educated of Gamaliel. This is the, one of the most famous of all teachers, Jewish teachers in all the world at that time. According to the strictness of our ancestral law, look, he keeps bringing them back. I grew up, this is how I grew up, this is what I believe. I was zealous for God. Just as all of your, he's like, listen, he's saying, y'all, y'all are mad, fanatics, and trying to kill me. I was just like you. I persecuted this way, capitalized, because speaking of Christianity, to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail. As both the high priest and the whole council, the elders can testify about me. So he's like, you can go check. Go ask those guys. After I received letters from them, to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus. I mean, this is over rivers and around mountains. Man, he went whatever it took to arrest those who were, who were there and to bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was traveling and approaching Damascus about noon, the brightest part of the day, an intense light, even brighter than the sun from heaven, suddenly flashed around me. Matter of fact, whenever John in Revelation, he said whenever he saw Jesus, the glorified Jesus, he said that his face was shining like, like the brightness of the sun, the brightest part of the day. And he said, I fell down like a dead man. Everybody that would see Jesus in his glorified state would fall down and say like they were dead because they could not handle that glory. And right here, this glory of Jesus, this is the glorified Christ. Please don't misunderstand. This is not a theopony. This is not an angel. This is Jesus in his glorified state. Appears to Paul, 
right there on the Damascus Road, and it was so intense that it knocked him off his horse on the ground. He said, this suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because listen, who was he persecuting? The church. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. So whenever you come into Christ Jesus, you are now the body of Christ. And whenever the apostle Paul, whenever he was persecuting the church before his conversion, Jesus said, you were persecuting me. That's my body. I answered, who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus. Oh, that's so interesting. Of Nazareth, the one you are. Now, see, we talked about Tarsus being like the second most educated city in the world at that time. Well, if you went down to the very bottom of the you know, class ranking right here, that would be Nazareth. That'd be like the most humble thing. I mean, even in his glorified state, he is speaking of his humility. It's a beautiful thing when he says, Jesus, you would never expect the glorified Jesus. Say, Jesus I would just say, Jesus of heaven. That's what I would expect him to say. That's what, that's what I think he should say. But he says, Jesus, even there he's speaking. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty you might become rich. And that's not health, wealth, and prosperity sermon right there. That's the kind of rich, the richness of spiritual richness, not the rich of having stuff in your bank account. Now those who were with me, now they saw the light. <laughs> I would love to hear their conversations after that, by the way. You know, they saw it, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. So why could they not hear the voice? Why did they see the light, but they didn't see Jesus? Why did, why did the apostle Paul see the glorified Christ and the other men there that were there, they saw the light, they didn't see it, and they didn't hear anything? Well, John 6, gives us an indication. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. There's got to be the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. That's why I said the most important thing you'll do this morning is pray before I preach. Because listen, if you came to hear a good sermon today, you won't hear a good sermon unless you're praying. Now, if you're praying and you're saying, God, speak to my heart right at the point what I need to hear, then you may walk out and go, man, that's the best sermon I've heard in my life. And it wasn't. You just heard God. It wasn't the sermon. It was you heard God speaking to your heart. That's the most important thing that ever happens here, okay? That's why I try to get you to pray every time we come together because I know that's what you need to hear. Not me. You need to hear from God. I said, here's a question you and I should be, that, that should be our question this morning. What should I do, Lord? Now that I'm saved, what do you want me to do? What should I be doing? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Who's doing the work here? He's doing the work, created in Christ Jesus for what? You are saved for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that, you, that we should walk in them. So what should we be doing? We should be seeking after the work of God in our lives right now. What is God doing in my life? 
and joining him in doing that. The Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told everything that you have been. Look at that. There's an assignment. Do you realize something? That when you're in Christ Jesus, you've got an assignment. You know that, right? There's an assignment for you. And the interesting thing about this is, is that wouldn't, it be, wouldn't you think it'd be more effective if Jesus would tell him his assignment? He doesn't do that. He sends him to the church. And the church is going to give him the assignment. I mean, I don't, I don't need to go to church to be saved. You sure don't. I don't have to go to church, go to heaven. True, you don't have to. But I tell you what, it's going to make that trip a whole lot better. You go at this solo and you're in for a rough ride and you're going to have a hard time understanding your kingdom purpose and your generation. You go at this solo. This is not a solo deal. This is a corporate deal. We are all the body of Christ. Now listen, you, you know, hey, I get it. This morning, you may be sitting here right now and you're like, you know what though, man, I've been burned by the church people. So has everybody else sitting around you. Yeah. You may be sitting right now and saying, man, you know what, here's my problem with you. As I've had preachers manipulate me, so have all the rest of us in here too, you know? I mean, is, is the church flawed? Yes. No, not anywhere where it says that we are perfect, Christ is perfect, we are imperfect, but we come together and it says that we are, if we truly are his disciples, then we will love one another just as he loved us. We'll forgive one another just as he has forgiven us. So it's not about the people around you being perfect or treating you right. It's not about even you coming here to get served by the church. The church will mess up. It's about you coming here to serve the body for your assignment, for you to work in that assignment. Since I couldn't see, that is so funny. I told you we're going to see this over and over again. We're seeing it again. The man that was probably one of the smartest Jewish Young men, up-and-coming Pharisees, had it all going his way, full of pride, had the authority from Jerusalem to go into the synagogues. I mean, he had it all. And he gets humbled. He gets struck blind, and it said he had to be led like a baby by the hand, leading, asking questions. I mean, this must have been a frightening thing that happened to the Apostle Paul. Saul then, okay? Must have been very frightening to him. Very humbling to him. You do realize the most dangerous thing that you and I can step into is pride, right? <laughs> and the thing about pride is that it's invisible in the mirror. Everybody else can see our pride but us. You know, they call it a blind spot because you're blind to it, right? Right? So right here, man, he is, gets humbled. And by, so he's led by the hand by those who are with him. And they went into Damascus. They go into enemy territory. <laughs> Here's the thing about conversion. Conversion will make your enemies your friends and your friends your enemies. You know? I mean, everything changed for the Apostle Paul when he got saved. The people that was on his side, now they want to kill him. The people that he wanted to kill, now they're his friends. Someone named Ananias, a devout man according to the law. Why is this important? Who's he talking to? He's speaking to Jews. Who had a good reputation with all the Jews living there. 
came and he stood by me and he said, Brother Saul, man, don't you know he was glad to hear that word, brother? What, 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 brother Saul saying, we're not going to do to you what you were coming here to do to us. I think that's kind of an important Christian principle. Not to do unto others is, but yeah, see, y'all already know that, don't you? He said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very hour, I looked up and my sight was restored. I saw him because God had to blind him physically before he could see spiritually. And he said, the God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. Why is that important? Because if this doesn't happen, we don't call him the Apostle Paul. Because an apostle, you have to see and hear the Lord. Or you can't be an apostle. You can be a disciple, but you can't be an apostle. Two totally different things, okay? So he's got to see him and hear him. Righteous one that's speaking to Jesus. So that's why that's important. Since you will be a witness, I think in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 talks about them being a witness to the whole world. Since you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now... Why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Now, once again, this is not regenerative work and baptism. We baptize people all the time. We always say systematic theology teaches us that that does not save us. There's a mystery, something beautiful, something wonderful is happening in baptism, but it's not the work of salvation. For by grace, just read that, you are saved through faith, not by works. If that saved you, that's a work. Okay? If we say, you take a communion, that saves you. That's a work. No, no, they don't save us. For by grace, through faith. After I return to Jerusalem. So he's going to tell him about, where's, where's, he, where's he giving this sermon? He's in Jerusalem. Now he's going to tell them, after my conversion, when I came back to Jerusalem, here's what happened. As I was praying in the most important place to them, in the temple, Matter of fact, he's preaching from the Temple Mound right now. I fell into a trance. He rarely talks about this. Do you know why he rarely talks about this? Because this is not what saved him. He's saved by grace. He doesn't want to make a big deal of this supernatural thing that happens, but right here it's pertinent. Right here it's important. So here he talks about it one of the few times he talks about this. And I saw him telling me, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly. Because they will not accept your testimony about me. But I said, Lord, they know that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. Let me ask you a question. Those of you that have been going verse by verse through Acts with me, after his conversion, where does he go first? And when he goes into a city, he always goes to the synagogue first. Isn't that interesting? Before conversion, he goes to the synagogues to try to find those Christians, to have them put in jail. After his conversion, he goes to the synagogue to get them all saved. And when the blood, oh, see, and here, listen, listen. see, because we all got that regret. Hmm? Every single one of us in here. We, we, we come back to that same thing over and over again, and we think, man, if I could just go back in time, if I could just wipe that one thing off, just take that out of my life. God, I would do that in a heartbeat. Even the Apostle Paul had that too. There's this thing right here in his past that he never got over 
broke his heart every time he thought about it. He said, and when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, man, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. And he said to me, go because I will send you far away to thee. And here's where he gets, mm. this one word right here is about to throw everybody and look at how they respond to this. They listened to him up to that point when he said that word, Gentile. Then they raised their voices shouting, wipe this man off the face of the earth. He should not be allowed to live because of their bias. Because they're like, you mean you're going to tell me that you're going to say the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised? The Gentiles don't have to follow the law? That they can just be justified through faith in Jesus Christ? We're good till you get to that point. Now let's just kill him. I'll solve everything. Let's destroy him right now. Wipe him off the face of the earth. Let me ask you something. Did his sermon work? It did, didn't it? I mean, we're, yeah, we look at that because we look at it logically, and we're just like, that didn't work. They still wanted to kill him. That wasn't his point. He was not trying to save his life. He was trying to share the gospel with them, and he did. He cannot control how they responded to the gospel. Just like when you share the gospel with people, you cannot control how they respond to it. And listen, one of the most important things you can do when you're sharing the gospel with somebody is when you come up here is get one of these, put their name on it, then walk over here and put it at the foot of the cross because other people will join you in praying for that person because apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we will not receive the gospel. It's just that simple. That's the transformational faith we're praying about. So was he successful? Yes. Because he shared the gospel, and that's what he wanted to do. And that's the same place you and I should be also, is that should be our goal. Man, share the gospel. Share the gospel. Share the, tell what Jesus has done in my life. Can't respond. How they respond can't control that. Transformational faith. Is anybody being transformed this morning? So what is transformational faith? I put this, I know this is, you might have to look up the big screen there. Just real quickly, going to go through this. Man, you know a preacher's lying when he says real quickly, right? <laughs> Transformational faith. Sees through the temporary to the eternal. Just like, that's what he told Nicodemus. said, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Transformational faith always prays about everything and over everyone. So let me just give you an illustration. Let's just say that I was standing up here this morning, and I was having a conversation with a believer after church is over with. And you came walking up here, and you came up, and I looked at you, and I acknowledged you, and me and this other person kept on having our conversation. And you kept trying to talk to us, but we totally ignored you. Do you do realize we do that with Jesus, right? So many times you and I are having conversations. You're having conversations with other believers, and you totally leave him out of the conversation. You know you can pray, right? He's right there with you. Sometimes you're, you're, you're talking, you're having these discussions over these things that you just don't know how it's all going to work out, and it's all, you're, you're worried, concerned about it, and you don't pray about it. Listen, the most important thing we can do is pray. Right, listen, if that's really a believer, and you start praying, it will not offend them. Promise you, it will not offend them. So we need to be praying. That prays about everything and over everyone. Oh, yeah, this one. Transformation, man, it's going to dig in to grow in spiritually, and then we're going to look at this one. Because 
Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Transformational faith always puts the kingdom of God first in everything. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Man, I'm glad I came to church today. It makes me feel a whole lot better. One more thing. Let's talk about one more story this morning. After the death, the burial, and the resurrection, Jesus comes on a Sunday, and he appears to the disciples in the upper room. You know how that story goes? And they were, they were there, except for one. Oh, Thomas, what do we call Thomas? Doubting Thomas. <laughs> that poor guy. Man, I mean, he gets stuck with that, you know? I mean, anyway. So he's not there. So the next Sunday night, he gets together with them. Same place. He's right there with them this time. He tells them, this is what he says. They're telling him before they get there, they're telling him about seeing Jesus. Here's what he says. So the other disciples were telling him, man, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the marks of the nails in his hands, put my fingers into the mark of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. So he's like, man, that's a far-fetched story y'all are giving me. Let me tell you something. True transformational faith and common sense are two different things. Okay? I mean, like, when God really starts transforming your life and leading you to do some things, it's going to go against common sense. It's going to go, it's going to go against better advice. It's going to go against what your heart wants you to do. That's why it's called faith. It's going to stretch you and make you do things you normally would not do so God can prove himself strong in your life and in your world you live in. Listen, let's just me and you talk, okay? Because it's like this. If you don't let God do that, he's going to make you do that. He loves you too much just to let you not grow in your faith. So if you won't let him do that, he's going to do like some of you parents do to your kids. He's going to make you do that. He's going to put you in a spot where you've got nothing to do but look to him. And he'll pull you out then, and then you'll be like, oh, you are mighty. You are strong. You are all good. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and old Thomas, old doubting Thomas, was there with them. Even though the doors were locked, man, Jesus popped right in the middle of them, stood right there, and he said, Shalom, or peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, hey, boy, come here. Come here, Thomas. I wanna, I wanna, I'd love to see the scene. Maybe in heaven they get to show us some movies, okay? I want to see this. You know what I mean? Like, here he is. Hey, Thomas. I mean, Thomas must have been like, back there, seeing pop up. Thomas like, oh, no. You know, get outside. Thomas, hey, hey, boy, come here. Come on over here. Come here. Look here. Let me see your hand. Let me see that hand. Reach out that hand right here. Look, you see that? See that hole right there? Stick your finger in there. Pull it back. Sort of in the side. Let me see your other hand, buddy. Right there. Put it in my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, not oh, because you have seen me, you have believed. Oh, but blessed are those who have not seen, and yet that's you. That's you. That's transformational faith. And here's the amazing thing. Is that whenever we really believe 
and we really start praying, then he starts helping us to see. I mean, I know this is going to sound like I'm bragging, but I see every day, I see prayers answered every day. There isn't a day that goes by I don't see prayer. And you may be saying, man, David, that that's, sounds kind of like an exa- preacher exaggeration. I'm not. And once again, I'm not trying to brag, but I do a whole lot of praying. The more praying, the more specific you are with your prayers, the more you'll see your prayers answered. And I mean, for me to stand up here in front of you and to say, well, I got great faith, I couldn't tell you that because God has proved himself to me so much. I mean, I have a hard time saying it's faith anymore. I see so much. So I you know, when I get up here and I scream and shout and spit and jump up and down, I'm telling you, you've got to pray more. It's because of that. I mean, the Apostle Paul, when he got up there in front of them, it was like, man, he didn't care. Destroy my life, take my life, but you've got to hear what Jesus has done in my life. Oh, if we would have some people like that today. Oh, if we'd have some people, some young people that go into their schools and be like, I don't care. I just got to tell you what Jesus did in my life. I've got some people that go into their workplace and be like, I don't care anymore. I just got to tell you what Jesus has done in my life. Oh, if we had some people that would go into their family and be like, I don't care what y'all say about me. I got to tell you what Jesus has done in my life. See, that's transformational faith right there. So I got to ask myself, have I got that? Or am I believing in Is my faith the same thing as believing in something that I can't prove? Or am I believing in something that has been proved and is changing me? Would you please stand this morning? So between, for me, I would say that between like 11 years old and 21 years old, if somebody would have came to me and said, hey, you know, is your faith changing you? I don't know what my answer would have been, but I can tell you now, looking back at it, the honest answer would be no. Ten years, my Christian life, it just was not transforming me. And, and, and here's what happened, though. God kept forcing me. I mean, it, where, where it did change was right after my profession of faith, my dad was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, so he had to pray. Three years later, my older brother killed in a car accident. I was forced to then. What do I really believe about God now in this tragedy? And I could go on and on and on for those first 10 years of one right after another. I was getting forced, and it was through tragedies and heartache and pain and suffering. I'm not saying today that I stand up here in front of you at my age and be like, oh, you know, I don't ever suffer anymore, man. I got it figured out. This is how it is. No one's ever got it figured out. We all suffer. We all struggle. Man, life is full of ups and downs. But the question I got to ask myself is, is that am I making him transform me? Or am I willingly seeking it? And this is what I want. Man, I just want you, God. Jesus, I just want to be near you. So we got these cards up here. 
that you can put in the box before you head out. It talks about you dedicating your life to Jesus the first time. That's your salvation. Or rededicating your life. Interested in getting baptized. Need somebody to pray with me. All those things. Prayer requests. Then whenever we close out here, we're going to have communion. And when we close out, if you need somebody to pray with you, all you got to do is just stay in your seat. It's just that easy. Just stay sitting right there. There's a group of people that will just be going around here looking to see who's still sitting here. And when you're still sitting there, they'll come up to you and they'll be like, hey, you know, do you need somebody to pray with you? They'll check it out and see. And they'll pray for you. So if you need prayer over anything today, don't leave until someone prays for you. So let's, let's go ahead and commune with the Lord a little bit before we head out. There's, as always, there's at the front the elements, at the back, send someone from your family. And once you get your elements, you can have a seat. Or once that person from your family has left, then you're welcome to have a seat then. You know, if you're in good standing with the Lord, we love for you to commune with us. Hey, brother. Also, you can get one of those little placards right there. If you're somebody that you're praying for, that you want us, or you're witnessing to them, you're, you're sharing the gospel with them, and you want us to pray with you, then put their name on that placard and put it at the foot of the cross before you leave out today. We'll gather those up, and we'll be praying with you. Yes, yeah, so let's go ahead and open up and pull out the, the bread. So Hebrews chapter 11 is called the uh, chapter of faith, the hall of faith, all kinds of things. It has some of the great faithful people from the Old Testament talks about them. Then in chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. So right now, why don't you do that? Why don't you think about that for a moment? Is there some hindrances in your life? Is there some sin that needs to be confessed? that you need God to forgive you for. Maybe you've sinned against other people or maybe you're having a hard time forgiving other people that have sinned against you. Maybe you're having a hard time forgiving yourself. Just ask the Lord to forgive you. Grant you repentance from that sin. Because the Bible says that he wants us to run with endurance that race that's marked out before us your assignment you can't do that if you're tangled up so we thank you God for the invitation to come to your table today to come to the table of Jesus 
to commune with him. So we come here in faith, O God. We're joining all the believers around the world today who are also communing with you. With all the saints that have went before us that are communing with you in heaven, we join them as we come to your table. There is something beautiful and mysterious that happens here in this moment when we come to the Lord's table. So another thing that we started doing is we started praying together. There's something powerful about us joining in prayer together. So if you would, just repeat after me and say, Dear Jesus, thank you for your body. Thank you for your forgiveness. I do this in remembrance of you. Let's take and eat in faith, church. Looking back at the screen, keeping your eyes on Jesus. How many times in the text today did we say, see and look? Keeping your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. That's what we're remembering right now. Despising the shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. How did Paul stand there that day with that hostility against himself? He was, he was considering Jesus who faced the hostility that Jesus faced. And I'm sure that Paul would be like, man, that's nothing compared to what Jesus faced. So that you won't, oh, is there anybody weary this morning? Is there anybody exhausted this morning? Is there anybody that's just like, Thank God we finished and we're headed into the summer. Is there anybody this morning that's just like, I don't know if I could go any further. So we got to consider him. And that's what we're doing here when we take communion. So if you haven't opened up your juice and go ahead and do that. So this is the, represents the new covenant that we have with Jesus. It's a wonderful covenant because it's a covenant of grace. And grace means that he freely gives us what we do not deserve. So you may be sitting here this morning and taking communion and be thinking, man, you know what? I really don't deserve this. That's why it's called grace. You don't earn it. He gives it to you freely. And that's what this is all about, that he laid down his life, that he shed his blood so that our sins can be forgiven. And what we're doing now is we're honoring that and we're remembering that. So as you look at this juice, just look at it for a moment. See, while I go, some of you are reminded of that one thing that you regret so badly. And here's the good news today. That's covered. Jesus would come and sit down beside you and say, oh, yeah, that's covered. Matter of fact, I forgot about it. As far as the east is from the west, it's been removed. I paid the ransom for you. You are totally 100% forgiven. Now it's time to lay that down. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. I drink in faith.
Let's drink, church. Let's pray one more time before you head out here this morning. So this morning right now, I mean, I was, I was kind of joking a while ago, but I was also serious. So right now, if you're here this morning and you say, man, I am just, I'm exhausted. Then I want you to pray before you leave out of here today. And I want to pray for you. Because if you're exhausted, that means you've been carrying something you weren't meant to carry. God, I pray for the people here this morning that are just worn out and they're exhausted. God, I pray today before they leave this room that you would fill them with enough faith and enough trust in you that they could lay that down. See, some of you, you need to come up here and get a placard and write that on the placard and put it on the cross and leave it here. An act of faith that you're not going to carry that out of here. So right now, would you pray, say, just pray something like, dear Jesus, just help me to let go of this. Help me to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Help me to trust you with this. Come to me, all your weary and burden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my burden is light, my yoke is easy. Can you receive that today, dear friend? So today, the sun is shining, your heart's beating. You're able to walk into this building and you'll be able to walk out by the grace of God. He is good. And it's good to be here today. And he'll be with you all through this week. So God bless you as you go.